it's Julie. Before we start the show, I just want to thank you for listening. And if you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps get our show out in front of new listeners. Thanks again for listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. We hope you enjoy this interview. You're listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser Ilkovich. Today, I am here with a very special guest, Hillary Klein. She is the head of strategy and operations for public affairs at WeWork. Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. It is my pleasure. We are so excited to have you on the show, and we are recording this in a beautiful podcasting studio, <laughs> recording studio at WeWork headquarters, um, which I just said is the office of the future. Really, it really is. Um, it's beautiful. So thank you for letting us come into your space. And I got a glimpse of all the beverage options that we have here, which are really like, I mean, what do they call it? Like decision fatigue? I'm like, how do you get any work done <laughs> if you're just deciding which kind of kombucha to drink? But um, that is a perfect lead into our first question, which is always, what is your coffee drink of choice? What do you like to drink? Excellent question. And, you know, work and kombucha go beautifully well together. <laughs> and that's the whole point, right? It's that work in life is is one thing. And this idea that you can't be productive while enjoying a beverage, you know, I think it's something that we just, we don't see right. in day-to-day yep. life. So I do often partake in a coffee beverage during the work day. <laughs> you better. I do. I do. But it's, you know, it, it's pretty low-key. Okay. My typical is a non-fat latte. That's great. If I'm feeling fancy, I might get 2%. It's a big day. <laughs> that's a splurge. That's yes. a splurge. <laughs> I think that sounds delicious. And also just like it's it's just easy, right? <laughs> it's easy. It's low-key. I actually once worked as a barista in college. Oh, I did so, not know that. Yes. It was an amazing job and certainly something where I learned a lot more than just making coffee. Right. But perhaps one of the reasons why I don't often go for like the really souped up, sugary, fancy flavors, I think I prefer my flavors in food. I come from a long line of dedicated coffee drinkers. So, How old were you when you were allowed to start drinking coffee? Because I think I was like legitimately five. I don't recall a time before coffee. <laughs> right, that's me too. <laughs> To people today, let their kids drink coffee young? Probably not. But. I don't know. I remember, so we growing up, which I was very lucky to be able to do, had Sunday dinners with my grandparents oh, almost, so nice. almost every Sunday. And after dinner, my grandfather would sort of morph into Frank Sinatra momentarily, <laughs> and he would ask for coffee, and he'd say, two fingers, like you would for whiskey. Right. But it was a one finger, it was two fingers of coffee. Black. I love that. <laughs> You learned from the best. So you've spent most of your career in public relations, and you were at agencies, and now you're at WeWork, which is clearly a very, very quickly growing company. Can you take us and our listeners through a career, your career path? So kind of what were the steps along the way from college to internships through your jobs that got you where you are today? Got it. No details spared. Okay. Um, it's interesting because I actually went to college to study public relations which I think is much more common today, yeah. but was less common then. And I had had some family members who were in PR and I think was exposed to what it is. Right. Maybe earlier than most. And, you know, back in the day, it was sort of just around when the internet was a thing, but most of the news was newspaper, TV news. So just the sort of aha moment that there were people behind those stories in addition to the name on the byline. Right. Right. So that was just an awareness that I think I had. And when I was thinking about what the hell do I want to do with my life, what school do I want to go to, I knew I wanted to study public relations. And I didn't necessarily want to enroll in a mass communications program. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty niche. Right. I, I, this story is like blowing my mind because I, I was a PR major, but I had the exact opposite story where I went to college, to BU, to study communications because, <laughs> because, and you were at Syracuse. Yes. Okay. Yes. We know. Uh, we know each other's alma maters. So we, um, to study communications, to be a broadcast journalist because 
that's what I had seen. That's what I was familiar mm-hmm. with. And I mm-hmm. always tell the story. I'm sure that the podcast listeners have heard it. So apologies if you hear it on every episode. But <laughs> I didn't know PR was like a thing. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I actually didn't know that. And to, for you, and then I went on and I learned about it in you know, our kind of like Com 101 classes. And then I was like, oh, this is cool. I want to major in it. But for you to have that insight going in, yeah, that's very advanced. Thank you, Aunt B. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> working in PR. Shout out to B. BK Communications in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But I did have, I think, some unusual insight in that way. And I had some understanding at the time that, oh, this is kind of weird. But not really. But I knew enough to know that I was attracted to this particular thing. Right. And also that I hate math and can't right. can't handle numbers. So that really <laughs> helped the process of elimination. Right. It makes me scared. So looking at colleges, which was a blast, I went on all these fun road trips with my dad, and we would look at all these schools. So we end up going to visit Syracuse, which, spoiler alert, as you know, <laughs> Sorry, was, I spoiled was the it. end destination. <laughs> and I remember being in the School of Communications, and they were asking all the prospective students, you know, if you are interested in broadcast journalism, go stand over here. If you are interested in magazine, go stand wow. over there. If you're interested in advertising over here and PR lastly over there and I remember debating should we go stand with advertising or should we go stand with PR and advertising was just a horde of human <laughs> okay, beings. Were you the only person? <laughs> a horde of people <laughs> and I looked PR. in the PR corner and there were like five kind of chill looking other families and I was like dad we're going over there <laughs> and it turned out to be a great decision. Right the rest is history. Yep and here we are today but I had an amazing time at Syracuse And it really was the right choice for me for many, many different reasons. I think none the least of which is that they really gave and give their students training. Mm -hmm. Education, absolutely, but also training. Right. And I felt incredibly prepared to go on to that next step. And it was interesting because I also wasn't, I wasn't really sure what type of PR one does when it's an actual job. Right. <laughs> right. I understand what it is. And the agency model was definitely the most common. Uh-huh. And as it turned out, you know, I had decided instead of trying to get work immediately at graduation in the spring with everybody else, because the other thing about, you know, PR jobs, and this was the part that was harder for my family to understand, they don't book you in the fall for work that next right. year, right? It's about what accounts do we have, what's the need, and it's much more of a real-time decision. It's like days or weeks, max, for you. yeah. Yeah. So I knew that if I was looking at the same time as everybody else, it would just be a different experience. So I said, you know what? I'm going to ride out my lease, hang out in Syracuse for the summer, work at this amazing part-time job in this coffee shop, which was Starbucks. I don't know why I say, like, oh, it's this coffee shop. You might (laughs) know it. I was really thinking it was definitely, like, a little. Yeah, you might have heard of it. It's called Starbucks. Um, Amazing job. But, and then try in the fall, which is what I ended up doing. And I was incredibly lucky. The other beautiful thing about Syracuse is just, it is an incredible connection of people in the industry. I mean, that's... And that is, that that advantage just cannot be understated. And I recognize, you know, that was a privilege. And part of going to that school was that I ended up getting my very first job, which was at Burson Marsteller, Mm -hmm. through a friend at Syracuse. She had been in their internship program, and she sent around an email saying, hey, we're looking for client executives. You guys should apply. And it ended up going well, and I got that position. And the woman who I interviewed with, who became my boss, was another Syracuse graduate. And she really was just influential in my life. Um, Follow Lisa Kovitz on Twitter, everyone. (laughs) I like this. I'm just dropping the tip. Shout out. (laughs) She was incredible. She was a force. She was fearless. And I learned so much working with her at Burson Marsteller that a few years later, um, when she went to Edelman, Mm -hmm. it sort of inspired me to look around as well. And I looked at some other agencies and ultimately followed her. Wow. And went to Edelman as well and was there for about 10 years. That's I mean, Bonkers. that is almost, <laughs> I will say, I want to talk a lot about that, but my first boss in magazines had gone to Syracuse, and she basically, I did not clearly go to Syracuse, she basically told me, like, I would definitely always hire someone who went to Syracuse first, so. 
talk about. Yes. I mean, I mean, I got the job, but talk about you know the network is strong. So you were there at Edelman for ten years, which we know in this industry is a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it was seven years longer than I planned to. Stay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was at my first job for two years, and I knew I didn't want to move around so much. Mm-hmm. I'm a slower paced person mm-hmm. in life. But I thought, you know, three years here, then four years at the next right. place, and, and eventually I will get to somewhere where I can stay. And what was amazing was that, you know, in that 10-year time period, it was definitely something new every two right. years or so. And the benefit of having such a big network and such a big sort of portfolio is there's always something new to learn and something new to do. So it wasn't 10 years of the same monotonous thing day after day. It was a lot of new challenges, a lot of new opportunities, a lot of really just unexpected, just unexpected paths and people. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you by the time I left, I was sort of doing two things simultaneously. I don't move fast, but I can (laughs) I can do a lot, maybe just slowly. (laughs) But I was. I was both working as a media strategist Mm -hmm. and advising one particular client on that type of work, which was amazing, and also doing something completely unrelated and working on new business efforts. Oh, wow. And who would have known that that was, you know, ever in the future? And it turned out to be something I actually really enjoyed. And then along came WeWork. Right. And that was actually the connection. It was funny. So for context, WeWork, our company, is about um, eight years old. Wow. Founded in 2010. So like a fourth grader. Right. About, <laughs> like it's so young. <laughs> which is pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, the growth is unbelievable. The growth has been amazing. And I think, you know, there is truth to we are able to offer something that people need and want mm-hmm. in ways that maybe they didn't always expect and certainly ways that we didn't expect. But without diverging too much into that, conversation you know for the first handful of years there wasn't per se a PR organization within WeWork Hmm. which is crazy I think you know just inherently in the bones of who we are as a company and in particular our co-founders they are inherent storytellers Mm -hmm. and when you think about just someone's outlook in life and the way they navigate the world and understand information these guys do it through story, which having worked on all sorts of clients over the years is a rare thing. They are incredibly smart in different ways and incredibly, you know, diverse in their backgrounds, mm-hmm. none of which include communications. Right. The, you know, two co-founders. But they understood storytelling. And I think for the beginning of the company's life cycle, they did it themselves. Mm-hmm. And they did an incredible job. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of times in when there's a startup, either they, well, they're usually just hiring like an agency to mm-hmm. do their PR. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily think about it mm-hmm. as like part of the mm-hmm. organization. But I mean, as you can tell us, like it is so important to have PR really integrated and understanding your story. And so it's an interesting progression because that's probably quite common, right? That a lot of companies don't necessarily, they're working with agencies until they get to a certain size. But yeah, I would think so. And yeah. they were definitely very vital right. agency partners in that time span. Right. For sure. For sure. But, you know, fast forward when it came time as a company to say, okay, we're ready now. We're at a certain stage mm-hmm. where we want to invest in having some experts who are full-time part of our company to, you know, take the storytelling to the next level is actually when, you know, WeWork really first came on my radar is Edelman was working with that new hire who is my boss today, an amazing woman named Jen Schuyler. And she was a team of one, one human being. And obviously needed some support, and that's how we got together. And then long story short, it was just, you know, what the team was doing here was amazing. And it felt like this moment in time where I knew that if I didn't take advantage of this opportunity to get involved... I might not get that same kind of chance again. Right. To get it, you're in at the beginning of the PR. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a couple years, six years in, but the beginning, beginning of the PR. <laughs> wow. That's an, I mean, that's an incredible journey. And I think it's really, um, it's such a nice story of like 
staying with a company for a long time, but that doesn't mean that's where you're just going to like be for the rest of your life. Because I think right now, it's like we look at a generation ahead of us, and they stayed at companies forever, retired, moved on. And you look more at like our generation, and people jump around a lot. But it's nice where it's like kind of a happy medium. You can stay where you want to be and know that you can still transition. It's not like you're like, oh, got to retire from Edelman because it's been 10 <laughs> years. So might as well stay here another 25. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah. Right. And I, I do also recognize, you know, I've been so lucky in my experiences and that through all that time, you know, I have had a series of strong women as my managers, actually all women That's as my amazing. managers, which has been amazing. And people who have really been advocates for me, people who have cared about where I want to grow and what I can offer to clients or to the company. And I think if you are able to create that context for yourself, it doesn't always matter as much where it is. Right. And that's great. Great advice and a great way to think about it. Was really really good it's like almost being like an entrepreneur within a big company because you are kind of the business that you're selling so uh, what are some of the key ways that PR has changed since you've started oh, working in PR because I think part of the reason probably is easy to stay for so long at Edelman like you said is it was constantly changing it wasn't it never was the same job and I think so many of us go through that as technology changes so there are a few things that you just like can't even believe you were doing at the beginning Cutting. Should I admit to sending faxes? I <laughs> might much? age you. <laughs> That's a thing that I've done. For a long time, probably, you were doing ta- All right, Julie, not that long. <laughs> a short time. I have sent some uh, faxes. I meant more like the progression of how fast companies work technology-wise and not referring to your age. Okay, you sent a few faxes. <laughs> I have sent a fax or two. But actually, to that point... I remember using Lotus Notes. Oh, my gosh, uh-huh. yes. And emailing and having to have conversations about what is appropriate to put in an email to USA Today. And how, and this is an example of how sort of some level of fearlessness early in my career, which I was completely unaware of, mm-hmm. was just such a blessing in disguise in terms of a transformative experience that I did not appreciate at the time, but I think really just enabled me to just expand quickly was I worked with this was a Bruce Marsteller working with a great team and someone said oh yeah Hillary go email Bruce at USA Today and ask him this about this thing I had no other context I didn't ask for any other <laughs> context shame on me I was like okay great right so I looked up this man's email I was address like, who's Bruce <laughs> I had no idea I did I literally did not know his last name I found a guy named Bruce who did write for USA Today and was like oh it must be him must be this Bruce cool could not see an immediate connection between the question and his column but I just sent off a random email I was like I said hi Bruce blah 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 and he essentially wrote back to my boss and said who is this which is also a funny old school because now it's like anyone can email you and like that's cool who cares right right? like it's very casual maybe if someone texted you now that you've never heard of before you'd be weirded out but good yes that's a better (laughs) example so that was a funny sort of thing was figuring out how to use email professionally we also use lotus notes when i first worked (laughs) in magazines i mean that's not that long ago and like they really held on to the market as long as they could. Bless. Also, BlackBerry, RIP. Oh, my God. Did you um, love your BlackBerry? Oh, yes. Yeah, me too. I still have it in a drawer. <laughs> Trackball intact. I would love to have a BlackBerry. I understand it's not appropriate, but uh, love to type on a real keyboard. But I think beyond, you know, beloved devices of days past – I think one thing that actually has come up more recently is, you know, at WeWork, we don't use press releases. That's really interesting. That was such a staple for so long. Yeah. And it was something we learned how to do in school, and it's something that can often be really useful today. But for us, I think the approach that we are going to sort of just mass produce something that's sort of a cross between a corporate memo and a really formal type of news writing it doesn't convey who we are Mm -hmm. 
right? That's not really true to the stories we tell, the company that we are, that's the way we navigate the world. And I don't know that it's super useful for journalists right. anymore. I mean, that's more what I was thinking as you're saying. I'm like, that's so smart. Like when I was a journalist, I, you know, actively working as a writer, editor, I would always think like, just tell me, like, let's work on the story. Yeah. Like just getting the release with the bare bones is not that helpful to the job that we're doing. So this is very forward thinking PR. It's been, honestly, that was an easy decision to make and less of a formal, like there was no council where we sat down and said, you know, they shall be stricken. Right. And it was more, if we have something that we need to express in the first person that we need to say publicly about ourselves, we'll often do a blog post. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of brands, I think, have done that in a really meaningful way. And if there's a story that we want to tell, we will often be a lot more specific about, well, here's the the handful of reporters or whomever that we want to work with right. and why, and approach them really almost one-on-one. So we have done less of that sort of mass, like cast a wide net yep. kind of storytelling, at least recently in the U.S. Now our teams in different countries have really different experiences. Right. And that's been an interesting thing, too, to understand that culturally, we need to work the way that our audience wants to work. So if in China, reporters are accustomed and interested in receiving a press release, we will give them press releases. It's, I mean, and that's, you must be learning a lot about working internationally because so this company. So much. <laughs> we work today. Let's see if I can get these key messages right. We are at close to 300 locations, wow. 22 countries, wow. 75 cities. Wow. Which is incredible. We are opening roughly 12 buildings each month, where for context in the first year or two, that would have been a whole year's worth <coughs> of work. So it has been just amazing to be part of just the development of how to do this thing. Re- and really learning about an industry or industries that I knew nothing about. Right. And that was always something I appreciated at the agency as well, is you pick up these short bursts of expertise right. and completely, <laughs> like I worked on romance novels. It was great. That's awesome. It was great. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that is one great advantage of agency life is that you do get to work with different clients and it does. you get to start fresh every once in a while. Yep. So you were working at Edelman for a long time, but you moved up within the company. You know, what are some of your thoughts or tips on moving up within one company? Because I think we're so often told, if you want to get a raise, if you want to make more money, if you want a better job, you have to jump. And I think, you know, that in some companies that's probably true, but I do think in a lot of places are kind of getting away from that. So what were some of the things that you experienced or what are some of the tips you have for someone who's kind of looking for that next step? Sure. I mean, one personal experience that comes to mind is I can remember when I think I was potentially looking to go from an SAE to an AS, which is a big jump, right? Sort of that account supervisor, you're starting to manage, you're in a different sort of trajectory of different responsibilities. And SAE is Senior Senior Account account executive. Executive. Okay. Yeah. And everyone has different nomenclature. Right. But it was sort of that division from being a really experienced and successful doer to being someone who is maybe more involved in the decision-making process, more responsible for some of the strategy and for perhaps managing. Management probably is a huge job. Still doing, for sure. And that's something that's been very true at WeWork as well. Um, Hands are dirty all the time. Right, everyone does. amazing. (laughs) But I remember a conversation with my manager at the time, and I was really frustrated, and it was – it's bad to be frustrated around review season. Right. That was that was a key learning. <laughs> I think it's very co- common to be frustrated <laughs> around review season, but also not great. <laughs> it was it was it was not great. But I remember that some of the requirements to make that transition had to do with things like budget and account mm-hmm. maintenance, and that is not necessarily my strength. It is something I've leaned into and right. learned a lot about. But at the time, I remember being really frustrated, also because you know I was able to help clients with things like the storytelling and the media strategy. And I felt like there was a disconnect between the value I was providing and what 
on paper was expected of me to move forward. Right. And I wrote myself a really cranky self-review. <laughs> and I ill-advised, to be sure. You were like, I'm terrible at my job? Or it was like... I was like, I can't do budgets and I don't want to. Got it. Got it. Ill-advised. No one do this. <laughs> really cranky. Really salty. What not to do. Yeah. Really... I can't imagine that. You're so lovely to be around. <laughs> this is shocking. It was just a little salty. Okay. Little okay. Salty. I don't have it. I wish, <laughs> I wish I did. you did. I know. I wish you could read it right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but my so my manager who was new at the time and we'd worked together for long enough that she told me later she went to her manager and was like, Hillary just wrote this nonsense document. <laughs> what is she talking about? Also, I disagree. Please help. And so the three like so the three of us had a meeting. So it was my manager and my manager's manager. Both these incredible, brilliant women who I look up to to this day. And basically, we're like, you have to do this over. <laughs> and it was the most plain spoken conversation. Yeah. Just honest, which I also appreciated. Right. And we ended up in this place where they were like, I, she literally slid it back to me across the table. <laughs> Like like in a she like tear like, it up and throw it into millions. It was like literally it was folded over and she slid it back, and we had a conversation about like, look, do this thing once, show that you can do it, and then we together will create a path for growth where you are giving the value to the clients that clearly is useful to them. It wasn't creating a vanity position where you would do nothing all day. But do this thing once, prove that you can do it, yeah. get over it, learn something new, and then all these other avenues are going to open up. Right. I kind of think you did the right thing by writing that. I'm going to go take the other side because then they paid attention. Like, I think if you were just like, I'm doing great, you might not have gotten them. to progress. <laughs> but when, you, when you're the one who's like, I mean, they've probably never seen a negative self-review, like whoever writes it about themselves. And this is really interesting because this has been a topic I've been talking to a lot of women about where it's like, oh, I just don't want to do this part of my job. And I do think it prevents you from moving forward. Like, we all have things we don't want to do at work, right? But it's if you can focus on the things you do like and just slog through the rest, like, I think that's actually very, very valuable. It's hard. It was, it was definitely a moment for me. And I think... I've already said it twice in this conversation. The reason I don't like doing it is because I don't think I'm good at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I get uncomfortable. Mm. How are your budgets? How's, how's the budgeting going? Do you want to know how much of my job is budgets today? <laughs> I better Zero have improved. <laughs> oh, no, oh, a lot. A, a lot. A big part. Okay. A big part. So you've improved. So, well, now it's funny because I would hope that I have improved, <laughs> yes. But I also don't hate it the way I used to hate it. I still don't like it. But it doesn't, like, give me grief. And I recognize that it's one of the things that comes with a job that I otherwise love, right. and that's okay. Right. Yeah, sometimes also it's like the rote stuff that we don't love. It's more like the spreadsheets and all that. But that's kind of the good mind-numbing stuff where you don't <laughs> – I mean, girl, do I enjoy like putting on some music, getting into that spreadsheet? It is like, first of all, just typing numbers that you see on the screen – and I now have this whole thing where I have feelings about Google Sheets versus Excel Sheets because oh. the formulas are slightly different. But it feels so productive. Right. right. Ex- yeah, like, you accomplish it. Yep. That, those are the projects <laughs> I love. It's the so idea true. of starting something and finishing something, right. that was the other interesting transition for me in hindsight between an agency and being in-house at a company was there were these little pockets of closure at the agency because projects end. Right. And sometimes accounts end. And there was that finality, which I actually quite enjoyed. I realized I liked that structure. Right. Because that's not the case Correct. as much now. Well, I mean, you probably have some projects. Sure. Things, there right? are projects that certainly end, but sort of that narrative arc right. keeps going. And you are in that same brand space, and that keeps going. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, it's incredibly freeing. Because there's, at least I have found, there is sort of less pressure to be 110% right every time because there's going to be another chance. And so at least the environment that I'm experiencing here at WeWork, there is a lot of willingness to test and learn, mm-hmm. right? If you think 
you have what could be a great idea and you've done your homework and you have the argument and the thinking as to like, okay, here's where and how and why I think this could be incredible. The answer is almost always, well, go and do it. Right. And let us know how it goes. And there's not the expectation that you need to be 100% ready. And that was like jarring for me. That's amazing. I also think, and maybe this is some like little Friday afternoon psychoanalysis, (laughs) but that when you are in an agency environment and you are working on that project that does have an end date, there's a ton of perhaps subconscious pressure to get it right because that's your only chance. Right. Right? Like this campaign, maybe it happens once a year. Maybe we're not sure if the client's going to do it again. Right. Maybe For whatever reason, I feel like you really have that pressure to be the best, to be the most prepared, to be the most brilliant because you don't know what's going to be next. You don't know if you're going to have it. And I feel like at where I am today – you know that there's going to be another opportunity and it might not be the exact same thing, but there's this sort of longer road ahead of you. Right. And it kind of gives you a chance to grow, like build and grow versus everything lives in its own fight, like column. Like if everything lives a little bit separately. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think as well, you know, working in really large agencies, actually just this month, WeWork became not the smallest place I've ever worked. Wow. <laughs> So we are we are now at about 6,000 employees globally. Wow. Which is phenomenal. And what has been so amazing is we have people who are full-time illustrators. We have a 25-person international arts and graphics team. Oh, my team. gosh. Wow. And if you visit our buildings, you see their work. Right. And that's amazing. But we also have some of the best, you know, tax attorneys right. in the world. <laughs> and a team of developers who build our web products. And research analysts and just the the volume of different disciplines and people who are the best at those things mm-hmm. that has become this company is incredible. But for a long time it was the smallest place I ever worked. That's so crazy. And now and you are getting also in this experience, although you are doing PR communications, you are getting this experience to meet all these people in different like you do just different things, which For I think sure. that's an interesting to think to think about when you go in house. If you go to an agency, I mean, you're always going to work with interesting people in general, but you may not necessarily be working with. You know, if you go in house, you may work with more people, just kind of who have different who have different jobs, just be the nature. That of That is job. very true. That is, and that was a big transition as well. As you go from being in a room with all communications people, right, to being the only communications person in a room, very different, and that's a really different landscape. <laughs> And your goals are probably different. Right. And I think what's been awesome about the way not only that WeWork has evolved, but that public affairs within WeWork Mm -hmm. has evolved is so today, I hardly pitch any media at all, personally. Right. And that's a big change. Right. I do a lot of thinking about storytelling and a lot of work with the teens on that topic, but our sort of universe is incredibly broad. When we think about public affairs, you know, in our definition, it includes everything from our social media and our original content teams to our local in-region public affairs and working with the, you know, part of our team sits all over the world and every place where we work has a presence. How are we telling that story on the ground? How are we working in local government relations and with the mayor of that place? Right. All the way through to, you know, the more expected storytelling, corporate, consumer, working with different groups and different influencers and putting on different campaigns, all the way through to really developing for the first time, you know, what's our outlook on policy issues as a company? How do we want to make a positive impact in the world? All the way through to full circle, you know, all of those things are maybe more external facing. Our team also looks after internal communications. Wow, yeah. So now that we've got these 6,000 employees and growing all over the world, and they've come to us with so many different backgrounds, whether you're that artist or that engineer, from all different sort of working norms, how do we come together as one team, one culture, and how do we share what the heck is going on? Right, right. And that has been a fascinating sort of journey for me, actually, is I had pretty much zero experience with internal communications and now I spend 
a big part of my day every day thinking about that and working with the team we do have who are experts in that space. Right. And that has been amazing. And as you're talking, it makes me think even just like searching for a job. If you're searching for a job, a lot of students listen to this podcast. Like to think of public affairs encompassing all of those things and to think like, oh, I don't really – I think it's just changing how companies are kind of divvying up their communications. So not so if you are, you know, looking for your a first job or a next job, like not thinking like, oh, I don't want to work in PR or public affairs. I'm not going to look at that kind of division of we work because it really encompasses so much. And I think that's interesting for other companies too, like to see what it's expanding to, because that's that's very interesting. Um, what's kind of in that space? Because I think a lot of times content falls under marketing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, so just to to know that you need to kind of keep your eyes open for how a company is actually structured. I think that is excellent advice, Julie. Thank I you. Think it's a great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> when you're looking for your next job in ten to twenty years, <laughs> I know snail's pace. And I think it's a great question for interviews to understand each organization is different. And we also have an incredible marketing team. Right. I just don't happen to be part of it. Right, but that's But we work right. together, you know, hand in hand. Um, but it's a great question on interviews is just to understand how people think of work streams. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've been really conscious of is the way we collaborate cross-functionally. We're a very, in some ways, a very collaborative organization because I don't think you know, it's interesting. So Adam Newman, Miguel McKelvey are two co-founders. Miguel is a trained architect. Adam is an incredible businessman. And I think it took both of them coming together to create what has become WeWork. Right. So inherently, we are built on collaboration. Mm-hmm. And this recognition that everyone has something interesting and different to bring to the table. And it might not be the thing that's printed on their business card. Right. We also talk a lot about superpowers. And that comes in large part, I think, from our chief operating officer, who is a woman named Jen Barrett. Lots of Jens, lots of Jennifer. So many Jens. I'm like, we need to, we're going to have an org chart or something, or a chart from. We're on to last names. <laughs> we'll call her Jen B. Um, she speaks a lot about this concept of superpowers and really what is the responsibility of an employer, of us as an organization, and the idea that we can change that relationship between employees Mm -hmm. and companies and thinking about you know when you are part of WeWork our obligation to you is to help you unleash that superpower whatever it is and you might be working as an accountant and your superpower turns out is something totally different like systems thinking Mm -hmm. it's our job to help you first of all figure that out and then put it to use And so that's been just a really amazing sort of philosophical environment to be part of. And I do think it shapes the way we act every day. Yeah, and I just like in general, I mean, I work, I don't think I said this yet on this episode, my office is in a WeWork. I'm immersed in a WeWork. And I I just like the idea. You just can feel that it, it is constantly shifting. People are thinking about making your work life better, like the life, you know, then where you. you usually work. I mean, I've worked at so many offices where I'm like, this is a miserable, like, this is sad. And I come here every day. I mean, come here every single day, spend more time there than I spend with my child. And like, <laughs> maybe that's not true. Um, but maybe it is. So that it's real. It's, it is so great to hear from it from this side too. You can tell it's happening, but to just know the thinking and like that Everyone who works there is a valuable quote-unquote employee. Everyone who works at a WeWork office is a valuable employee. Absolutely. I mean, the reason we do what we do is ultimately for our members. Mm -hmm. And this idea of community is something we talk about a lot. And we have since the beginning. And I think that you can see expressed through the walls and the floors and the ceilings. And the fact that we will literally knock through a wall to build a staircase because it physically brings people together. Right. It's expressed through the community teams who you meet every day in your office who do care about you and what your work is and are you happy and do you have light coming into your brain every day. Right, and that's <laughs> makes a difference. the makes, number one question. Makes a difference. <laughs> through to the way we manage our own teams. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that really has shaped, you know, our business decisions and our day-to-day decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that's interesting because I think 
So one sort of where we are now in the story of WeWork is we're a little bit at a turning point, right? right? Where people know us, rightly so, for having a big startup community and people who are in small business. Those same principles of the opportunity to do what you love mm-hmm. and a space that is a community that enables community and that has created a positive work environment, that applies to everyone. So even if you're a huge Fortune 500 company, you deserve that same experience. Right. So more and more, we are working with what we would call an enterprise company, some of the biggest brands in the world, who want to collaborate to Mm -hmm. produce that environment and that experience for their employees and honor the relationship they have with their teams. And that has been like a whole new world. And we're just starting to really shape that story. Just makes me happy that people are acknowledging that we're, you spend so much time in your office that it should be, you know, and I think it's the iteration of the office, even since I started working at a job has changed so much from offices to open plan to, like you said, you know, having more light. And I think it's a really interesting, and I'm sure there's a lot of psychology behind it, thing to think about. I always say, like, if you go on a job interview, look around to the environment because it might be the best job in the world but then the office is shabby or like something about it just doesn't feel good it's like you're gonna go there every day amen girl (laughs) preach it to the choir and it's also (laughs) it's funny because it's it's just true it sounds like common sense no i know it's it's like when i say it out loud i'm like that sounds silly go to a job and look around you but i don't think i think most people don't consider it well and this idea of talent and talent retention is actually a big part of the discussions we have with these more established companies right because in some ways we work can offer a really practical solution right we can locate building space we can renovate construct design building space we can also manage building space Mm -hmm. and if this were another podcast with another person they could talk all about that (laughs) But so sometimes we can do that for big companies. You need a satellite office. We got you, no worries. But more often, we're speaking about, well, how do I, as this big established company, appeal to the workforce of the future? Right. Who doesn't perhaps want to drive to a cubicle farm in New Jersey? Right. How do I ensure that my existing current talent, who are some of the best in the business, want to stay and show up at this place every day? Mm -hmm. It's a big part of the discussion. And this could be a whole other podcast because I'm like fascinated with the <laughs> – I'm just fascinated with the concept of like you still have to go to an office every day to have a job. I just – I would – Well, yes and no. Like I just – if I had to walk – if I had to go to an assigned office every day from 9 to 6, that would be very difficult for me. And I could still get mm-hmm. my job done. So mm-hmm. I'm very, I'm just very interested in that conversation for another, another day, <laughs> part two of this episode. Um, well, so – New York Women in Communication, we have a new initiative. It's called Women Heard, hashtag Women Heard. Um, It's a platform, an opportunity for women to share their voices about their career struggles. It's all about career advice, women helping women, and kind of getting what they need um, in the work in the workplace to succeed. And on this podcast, we kind of bring in these more, you know, big picture career questions to the amazing women that we talk about. Um, So, you know, other than salary. What do you think is the most important employer benefit that women should be thinking about? I love this question because I have always been just like a big advocate of thinking big picture for your job. And I think it's really hard when you're looking at money to do that. So what are what what's a benefit that you think would be important? I will give you my answer. Okay. If you give me yours. <laughs> okay. Because well, I'm really curious now. I, so personally, I think for me, I've been able to identify that I really value vacation time. Yep. It's a great one. But I didn't know that right. at the beginning. And I think right. I think the best way to answer that question is to understand what matters to you in your life. Yep. And that might not be the universal same thing that everyone is seeking. Right. Some people might prefer like flexible work hours are really important for whatever reason. Or, you know, health insurance, that was actually and that probably is a universal. That was something right. that I spent a lot of time. That's probably number one. We'll get I mean, the, uh, yeah. insurance. Okay, yes, it definitely. It pays me to call that a benefit I is know. I think what's happening. I know. And I, I know. won't even begin with maternity leave. That's another right. podcast as well. <laughs> but for me, the thing was vacation time. Yeah. And that was something that, you know, I really felt proud of having achieved and 
and Edelman does offer a sabbatical program. Oh, wow. Which was which was pretty glorious. And I sort of learned about myself that I value being able to take, you know, some days off at a time together. Right. And I don't I don't do well sustaining myself on the long weekends. Yep. Right. right. You need to shut down. Yeah. For, I think I think that's a big one. And I also think vacation time is like such a good thing to value because often you can negotiate mm-hmm. to get a little more. And, you know, it's easier for them to give away than more cash or, you know, other benefits that may cost additional money. Obviously, your vacation time costs some money because you're not working. But I think that's a, a huge one. And then obviously taking your vacation. If yes. You get, that's all. And all the mythology around the unlimited right. vacation Oh, days. that is a mm-hmm. – I also am just obsessed with that. Like what – there's a lot of interesting uh, – Conversations around unlimited vacation. I, I think for me, however much vacation you have, you know, being on when you are on and off when you are off. Yep. I'm and a that huge discipline advocate. is so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so, and that's actually something that I think we work has in some ways achieved in the sense that we do more in 24 hours than I would have ever thought possible. Right. And it is intense. <laughs> like when we are on, we are on. But for the most part, when we're off, we're off. That's great. And weekend comes, and unless there's a genuine crisis happening, right. it is your time. That's hugely important. That's great. I think it just it just prevents burnout. Honestly, it just going to prevent burnout. Mine is definitely flexibility. For me, it's flexibility. I will work as much as many hours as you need me to, but I need to do it a little on my own terms. If I need to do something at 10 a.m., run an errand, whatever. I will always make up that time, but I mm-hmm. need to f- ha- feel empowered to kind of create my own schedule. And that's something it that took me a long time to learn. And it was kind of looking back on my career, I'd be like, oh, that's why I was annoyed about X, Y, and Z, there which is go. just like normal job stuff. But, you know, that's and, – and that's – not everyone can take flexibility. I truly understand and appreciate that. Luckily, I have my own business, and I can be here in the middle of the day with you <laughs> on a Friday. Whereas if I had my own business – I would never have my own business because I would never get off the couch <laughs> if I didn't would have be on vacation. To be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we have reached our lightning round. A few quick questions before we wrap up, and I've so loved this conversation. What is the best job you've ever had? Oh man, can I tell you it was the coffee Starbucks shop. job. <laughs> I knew it. I have been newly noticing this phenomenon on on Twitter of people kind of talking about getting jobs at Starbucks and wanting them so bad and how great it is to work there. So I agreed. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best part-time job experience I could have ever asked for without – this is the lightning round, so I'll try to do this briefly. That's the whole reason I got a job at Starbucks was because I had heard somewhere, and this might not be true any longer, that if you work with them and have a good record you know, for six months – They'll transfer you between stores, even internationally. Wow. And I knew that I wanted to study abroad in London, and I knew the cost of living in London was slightly different than the cost of living in Syracuse, so I would need a job. So I got a job at the local Starbucks in Syracuse, which is actually the first one in the area. It was incredible. They started me on the morning shift. I had to be there at 6.30. As a college student. As a college student. (laughs) And I am not a morning person. But at least there was lots of coffee at right. the destination. And then they did. They transferred me to a store in London. Wow. So I had a job, which is what made my semester abroad possible. And I worked, you know, 20 hours a week. And I had two weeks paid vacation. I had a 401k. Oh, I'm – this is – my heart and this is was, warm. this was years ago. This is – I am not – I am not a company representative. Right. Please check the website. <laughs> but I can tell you that that same – care about you know what is the relationship between a company as an employer and its employees they had that right they had that and I felt it that's incredible it's like it's good to have that early in your career so then you're like no that that's a thing yeah. and you can kind of make yeah. future decisions based on that and yeah. be like no I know it could be better than this wherever yeah. you are oh that's mm-hmm. amazing well it was really funny is that they are a client of Edelman's <laughs> so there was a very full circle full circle yes and what's the worst job you've ever had? Counselor in training. <laughs> I knew, I was like, I know it's going to be summer camp. I just know. I just know it's going to be sweaty kids at summer so camp. sweaty and I didn't have a car. <laughs> so we'll wrap up with the best career advice that you've ever received or have given. <laughs> you can pat yourself on the back. Oh, yikes. 
Okay. Well, I'd like to credit my dad, I think, who is not in PR. Okay. <laughs> but I remember this was in high school, possibly un- after the end of undergrad, either thinking about going to college or thinking about possibly going to graduate school. And we had a conversation and I was asking, you know, I wonder, should I try for law school? There's some really appealing things about that. I don't know. It's really interesting. And we were in the car at the time. And I just remember he looked at me and said, do you want to be a lawyer? (laughs) And I said, no. (laughs) And that was that. It was spectacularly clarifying. That's a great question to ask yourself before venturing into a very expensive grad school. Yeah experience. And I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't considered that. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Well, Hillary, where can people find you or where they should they follow you on social media? Um, If they're really interested, but I would say follow WeWork. Okay. I knew you were going to say that. If we get someone in, a PR person, we know we know that it's going to be the company. Well, uh, we work on Instagram and Facebook, everyone. It's it's great content, I will say. It's good content. Well, thank you for your time. This was such a fun conversation. I really, really, I learned a lot, and I really enjoy talking about everything mentorship workspace. Um, if you want more information about this podcast, you can follow New York Women in Communication on Twitter at NYWICI. Thank you so much to our guest, Hillary Klein, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hochheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grise, Kylie Harris, Elizabeth Roberts, Andrea Goldstein, Mandy Carr, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to newyorkwiki.org slash podcast. That's nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.